It's Six Pack Double Feature. Two friends, two movies, two mics, and too many drinks. They watch, they drink, they talk, you listen. Today the mates sail the high seas of adventure and get more than they bargained for in Malta with Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Cutthroat Island. Hey, watch out for that pile of ship on the poop deck. You don't know what this is, do you? Aztec gold. The heathen gods placed upon the gold a terrible curse. Ten years we search. Every last piece we have found, save for this. Hello, Bobby. They've taken Elizabeth. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. We must save her. Where do we start? Jack Sparrow. He talked about the Black Pearl. Make a deal with him. He can lead us to it. You forget your place. You are a blacksmith. If you spring me from this cell, I shall take you to the Black Pearl and your bonnie lass. You're a pirate. Forgot one very important thing, mate. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Not sure I deserve it. You're not facing normal pirates. Cruel, demented, vicious pirates, to be certain. Say goodbye! Goodbye. Bastard, cruel, demented, vicious pirates who cannot be killed. The moonlight shows us for what we really are. That's interesting. We are cursed men. I hardly believe in ghost stories anymore. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Can't you all remember Captain Jack Sparrow? Kill him. You like pain? Try wearing a corset. Here they come. of the Caribbean, the curse of the Black Pearl. I may have deserved that. That's how you do a trailer. That is how you do a trailer. That's going to be hard to cut up for time. <laughs> it's a small movie on its own. Yeah, very small. As far as movies go, Pirates of the Caribbean is long side. It is. <laughs> Welcome in. <laughs> This is Six Pack Double Feature. I'm Nathan. I am Travis. This is the this is the the, the podcast where we we watch movies and typically uh, drink us drink us some beer and talk about talk about a pair of movies. But we thought today, actually Nathan thought today, we thought we would enjoy some uh, some some cokes and rum. Uh, I haven't yeah, I haven't had any rum and cokes in a minute. Feel like I'm 25 again. Or 19 again. <laughs> Depending on the state. And... So, Pirates. Yeah, Pirates. Opening thoughts on this, first impressions. I, uh, or I guess second impressions. I saw this in the theater summer it came out, and was that 03? Yeah, it was 03. I remember <clears throat> seeing it specifically that summer, too, because uh, um, we were in Baltimore 
in 03, I went with my parents out to Baltimore for a few days, and I remember it came out that, or it was in the theaters at that time. And I specifically remember going and seeing it there. I remember loving it. Yeah, in the it theater. Was, yeah, it a was good, good, a good fun swashbuckle swashbuckling adventure. <laughs> this is this is what I put right before we even started. My pre notes for my notes was as we sit here having a drink, talking about two pirate movies on completely different sides of the spectrum. <laughs> I feel that it's very important to bring to your attention the rather famous quote by iconic director John Huston, who said, I relieve myself from the rigors of directing by casting the movie correctly. Mm. I'm sure we'll address it later on as we discuss first Pirates and then the second film in this double feature. (laughs) (laughs) Because casting, along with many other things, but casting especially, was key to this movie over another movie. What movie would that be? That would be Cutthroat Island. Which is the second of our six-pack yeah. double feature today. But we'll save the insults for that after the break. <laughs> Spoiler! We hate that movie. There's a reason why I hadn't seen it ever, and then only just <laughs> saw it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. That was really the first time you'd seen it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. That's Well, we'll, we'll get into that, yeah. that later. Um, <laughs> so, Pirates of the Caribbean. So, you're from, you're from SoCal. Where the ride exists, correct? Yeah, well, the ride exists in Orlando. Disney World's in Orlando. Yes, but the ride exists in all the Disney theme parks. Okay, I've never been to Disney. Okay, I wasn't sure. My parents didn't didn't love me enough to take me to Disney. (laughs) It was too far of a... It's a bit of a journey for for, uh, an Indiana boy. So it's based on is it a, like a like an interactive ride a roller coaster? It's what is really it? not an interactive ride as much as it's it, the the bits that I put down here regarding that because that's one of the things I was going to talk about is whether or not you were familiar with pirates at all or if you'd ever been to Disneyland or Disney World because of where you're you were geographically it probably would have way the hell away from it yeah you were farther away from either side the only thing I kind of had a sense that it was a ride but I don't know if you remember a movie starring Martin Short named Captain Ron yeah there's some pirates in it and they're like in a Caribbean cruise Kurt Russell's character says oh no there's pirates boss and he goes pirates what pirates the pirates of the Caribbean he said, well, have you been to Disney World one too many times, Ron? <laughs> that was my only real there knowledge. There was your only real knowledge yeah, of pirates. Yeah, like, oh, so it's a, it's a ride? I, I, what, what is it? You know, <laughs> I know what it is now, no. but do your thing. When I first saw it, I'm like, I thought Pirates was going to be a two-hour advertisement for a theme park. <laughs> Being based on a ride that someone had to string together a cohesive story with just looking at a bunch of set pieces and animatronic pirates. But uh, if you've ever been on the ride, and for you, you haven't, but it's... A 10 to 12 minute slow boat ride with one mile drop. The riders are exposed to a pirate's cove where there's lots of gold and lots of skeletons and lots of animatronic pirates. The ride then takes you through a port that's been overtaken by pirates, pirates chasing women, drinking rum, pirates stuck in a prison cell trying to coax a dog with a bone into... That's that image specifically when you come to that in the movie. Uh Uh-huh. Is very I one of the few like iconic images that I remember when I went on the ride itself because okay. it really isn't a ride as much as I think they called it an attraction, like a spook house almost. They took the popularity, I guess, that was it's a small world, mm-hmm. which was basically a boat ride that went around and you went around and people singing songs and all a bunch of different languages because you hit all the different countries. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, just with pirates, but with pirates and rum. You're just. You don't interact pretty much with anything. You're just looking. And so what's really funny, though, is the fact that when I was looking up some information on the theme park attraction itself, the ride is 
five or six minutes longer in the Disneyland version than it is anywhere else. So it's like 10 to what 11 sort of, minutes. What sort of shit is that? Why does everybody else get gypped? Because it was the first one they made. Oh, okay. <laughs> because this was the last theme park that was overseen by Walt Disney before he passed. Allegedly. That his, we believe. He his, head is, his head is still frozen in a vault somewhere with a rare print of Snow White and Song of the South. Yes, but they'll still show Snow White. <laughs> He's just in there with Song of the South, which no one will ever <laughs> no see. No one will ever. ever see either of those ever again. <laughs> oh, you can man. sing the songs. You may know the songs. I saw that movie. I swear I to you. Saw, I, saw I know I saw it too, but good luck trying to find it anywhere because that's one of those things where... That didn't happen. That doesn't exist. <laughs> we don't know where Zippity Doodah came from, but it did not come from this movie. And it, we definitely don't have a you know a horribly stereotypical racist movie in our catalog. We don't. Uncle Zemus or Remus? Remus. I think it was Uncle, Uncle Remus. Uncle Remus. This was the weird thing that I never thought about. I hadn't been. To, I haven't been to Disneyland. I've never been to Disney World. I haven't been to Disneyland since the late '90s before I moved. The ride, technically called an attraction, is open in 67. It was the last attraction that was overseen by Walt Disney. Um, well, it makes perfect sense that the ride has been revamped and updated since I, can, I can't recall being there for almost 20 years. It still seems strange to me that they've added all of the characters from the movie in this ride. Because nice. initially it was just pirates. And then they updated it in, I think, in 06 to coincide with the sequels that they started doing. Mm. <clears throat> That song, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, that was written for that ride. That was not a song for, from, movie. for a movie. I mean, it was... Because I, I do feel like that part, it's one of, we can talk about yeah. it later, we can talk about it now. That, I hated that part in this movie. It seemed... It's nostalgic on a sense because that's that linked to... Exactly. Because I guess it's loosely based on some shanty from Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. That song... You know, in a big studio production of what will eventually become a mind-numbing blockbuster franchise, this first film has some of the most clever writing and wonderful dialogue in... Absolutely. For for something like this, you just don't normally expect that level, in my opinion, of... This was one of the first, like, modern Disney movies to be not... It was the first PG-13 yeah, Disney movie, to, too. to be like a... a I hate Disney movies. I, I hate the whole heartwarming crap. I'm a cynic at heart, I guess. I hate like old Yeller type stuff. And well, old Yeller is depressing. <laughs> it's old Yeller is. Whew, let's not even talk about that. Like those all all those. You know what I'm talking about? Disney movies, and I don't like their animated stuff either. Okay. Even though people no. tell me there's there's stuff in there for adults and there's stuff in there for kids. Well, there's I don't have more kids. like Pixar, but yeah, and I hate that it, stuff too. I don't have kids, so if I go see a Pixar movie, I feel like a creep. This, I feel like I could go to. And to me, it's sort of the first, well, like you said, it was the first PG or PG-13. It was the P- first PG-13 so, Disney, with the Disney Not really made for kids. Studio. Made for kind of kids at heart, but kids not... Kids at heart, but yeah, definitely not a kids, kids movie. movie. And that's... I like that. Yeah. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which was a subtitle added towards the end of production, hoping that this movie would be successful and it would spawn franchise and spinoffs. I hope it was successful for them. (laughs) Uh, It's a swashbuckling action-adventure story based on the 1967 Disney theme park attraction. Blacksmith Will Turner teams up with eccentric pirate Captain Jack Sparrow to save... Turner's love, Elizabeth Swan, from cursed pirates led by 
Jack's mutinous former first mate, Captain Barbosa. Jack wants revenge against Barbosa, who left him stranded on an island before stealing his ship, the Black Pearl, along with 882 pieces of cursed Aztec gold. Will Turner's love. Her name's Elizabeth Swan. She's played by Swoon Kira Knightley. I have me a thing for Kira Knightley for some reason. I don't know why. Started with this movie. Uh, I can understand that. I'm like, this, I wouldn't this, call it unhealthy, but <laughs> like it was funny. This is one of the notes. Is it's like it's told through the eyes of the story is really told through her eyes to the for the most part, pretty much because yeah. she's she's the protagonist. She's the governor's daughter. Uh, every action and decision that she makes puts the entire story into motion. Who, who possesses some of the largest teeth I have ever seen? <laughs> her teeth are so big. I will make, fight you. They make her lips stick out, making it look like she's having a constantly posing duck lips. I think pouty is the word. It is kind of pouty, but I was like, she's got some big chompers, though. She has some big teeth. You meet her as a young girl, Mm -hmm. and what was was she singing? She was singing the Yo-Ho. The Yo-Ho, That's the way that they were initially trying to incorporate it without it feeling... Which is fine. Like they were forcing it in. Yeah, it pulls you in nicely. Right. For me, I... Because I'd never seen it. Oh, the the ship coming in out of the yeah, fog. Yeah. Apparently, from what I I was reading, something said it took them like two or three days to get that shot. They said it was one of the most difficult shots to pull off. Is that ship? And why is that? Out. I have no idea. Because it happened in reality. It's <laughs> not a fake ass visual effect. Surprise! I hate CG effects. <laughs> you meet her on the ship, and then all of a sudden, there's a. <laughs> Seeming like on the other side of the ship, there's this violent fire of a boat. Just, just turn around, turn, turn around, look behind you. And there's no one heard this. No one heard all this commotion happening. They're out at sea. There's. You think, a, you think the sound would travel more, but I don't know. Maybe a bit. It or the smell for sure. Is that that whole boat is just In, involved uh, wreckage and, and burning wreckage? She sees this black Swiss cheese boat go into the fog. Yeah. Presumably everyone is dead, except for one little gutter snipe floating on a door or something. Yeah. And that's Will Turner, young, mm-hmm. young Will Turner. We meet him, and <clears throat> he's, he's taken on board, and she immediately starts searching him for jewelry. She immediately steals yeah, I, his medallion, which we later find out. It's a very well-played MacGuffin, because you don't really think about it as a MacGuffin, but it is. You get little little hints of it, right? Of it. But like, it's why not is this thing, forced. Yeah, no, not at all. And the fact that, but the first her first action with, is to steal is his to bling. Steal his, steal she his steals bling. his bling. Oh, you you come to find out later that she took it because she was afraid that he may be a pirate as well, or something along those lines. Which seems kind of funny, but yeah, it is odd that our protagonist, the first thing that you see her doing outside of a singing a pirate song, is rob an unconscious rob person, <laughs> the sole survivor of this horrible. Uh, so okay, ship fine. You, you, she sees the she sees the ghost pirate ship take off into the fog, and it's like you said, she she may have thought that this young boy would have been captured and and taken prisoner and tried and convicted and executed or whatever as a pirate because they hate pirates evidently. Right. Well, that's fine. Okay. What a noble act. Look at it. Look mm-hmm. at it that way. She well, cut to she her saved his life. Cut to her now. She's now not a little girl. She's now Keira Knightley or a young Elizabeth Swan. She still has the damn thing and she still she wears it all the time. No, she had it underneath that. She pulled it out. She had a dream because she wakes up and we're not sure is she is she showing her or are we seeing her memory or are we seeing a oh, dream? Oh, yes. She goes into her desk or she pulls out a door. She pulls out a hidden 
thing underneath and she pulls out the medallion which had been sitting there for a while because there's a lot of dust around it that, around it damn it I must have been writing when that happened well yeah. I was I was wrong but she but still she, has it but then that's when she eventually put it on and then wears it for the rest of the movie right or until she can't wear it anymore for obvious reasons we meet Will again he's now a <laughs> his uh, introduction is so great <laughs> he's just standing there. The first thing you think, he's a blacksmith or he's the blacksmith apprentice. Courier apprentice, He's yeah. the apprentice. He's delivering a sword. He goes, <laughs> he goes to just touch that, like, not chandelier, but that light, light fixture and just, bong. <laughs> and what is the first thing you do? Hides it. <laughs> I thought that was great, too. Yeah. <laughs> she comes down. She's got... She's she's being prepped to be some sort of lady or some sort of... Well, she's the, govern- she's the, the governor's, governor's daughter. So Port on, Royal, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. There's another thing I noticed, a little sidetrack. Have you ever been to Jamaica? No. They wear a lot of clothing for being in Jamaica. It is hot there. Yeah. And they they wear a lot That was of, the style back then. It was the style to die from heat exhaustion. There's the one link that you can put these two movies together with Cutthroat Island as they both take place initially in Port Royal. That's the port that takes place, I believe, in Cutthroat Island, too. And there's boats, and there's water, and there's sword fighting, and they're pirates, and that's the only way you can connect. (laughs) So she comes down. uh, The the sword is for, is a gift from her father, the governor, to Commodore Schmidlap, or whatever his name is. Norrington. Norrington, yeah. Commodore Norrington. Um, I've got that in here later. Which he once he gets it, he automatically places it up his butt because he's pretty much he's got he's the stick up the butt yeah character the he's her he be- plays it well but it's he just, does he's the one part where it's like dude his character sucks yeah I don't like his well character. he's well I mean he's, he's there to be a he's there for he's a the, friction he's the protagonist and antagonist yeah because he's not a bad guy per se but he's definitely he's an between antagonist. he's between Will and Elizabeth whom together share all the feels but they don't admit it yet right from the day she picked his pocket to <laughs> the day he delivers the sword to her fiance they are despite their stations in life they are they because are. they found Will and because she takes that medallion Medallion steals um, it. Call it what it steal, is. She steals she his steals personal it. property. Well, <laughs> who's the, pi- who's the pirate now, Nathan? Right. <laughs> I'm going to get to my favorite scene real quick. I don't really have a. I've got a favorite bit of dialogue. There's a couple I put in here. So, um, but my it, and it's not. It's nothing terribly obscure or whimsical or anything. It's that introduction scene to Jack Sparrow. <laughs> That's when, one of mine too. When hell or high water, he is he is riding that damn boat into that port. <laughs> <laughs> right as this may have been an effect and if it was it was brilliantly done and it could have been in camera and practical I don't know but he's up on the mast because uh-huh. the rest of it's underwater and he it times out perfectly as it reaches the dock he just strides right under the dock doing his best Hunter S. Thompson walk just in a pirate outfit yes that's, well, that's that my shot, favorite scene in the movie that shot I believe I, uh, they filmed it backwards oh Okay. It looks slightly unnatural. It's perfect, but how he steps down looks almost just a tad unnatural. I need to check they, that out again. In order to do that visual correctly, they had they pulled it and they did that backwards. Huh. Which works because that's a great in-camera effect, if, especially if they can pull it off right. It does, and yeah. I didn't. I did, it suspended my disbelief one way or the other because I it perfectly sets up the kind of human being that Jack Sparrow is. It's sort of. I make and do with what I've got. Well, the sort of devil may care attitude. He has one of the best character introductions, anyways, because he's got he's like introduced, but he's introduced 
he's got like four introductions mm-hmm. because they're all subtly brilliant. And the first one is is he you you see him you don't know what he's on other than he's on a ship and he's Captain Jack Sparrow, and then you realize he's on this small boat. It's a little dinghy. So he comes down off the mast and bails seventy five gallons of water out right. of the bottom of the boat. Right, so he he's trying sink. to get it. He's trying to get to port before it sinks completely. It's like a steampunk Millennium Falcon. Right. Whatever you can do to get to your next port of call. The second one is is he pays his respects to the pirates that are hanging there. Yes. And the way it's so perfectly shot, the camera behind all of the hanging dead pirates and the one empty noose, and I'm almost certain that his head goes right in that shot, right behind the noose. But he takes off his hat and he pays his respects. The third one, his grand entrance of stepping aboard the dock and his interaction with the dock master by paying him three shillings to forget his name. Yep. It'll be one shilling and I need your information or your name. How about we give you three and you forget I was ever and you forget my name. Welcome to Port Royal, Mr. Right. Smith. <laughs> and then he steals the dock master's coin purse <laughs> for leaving. <laughs> Pirate <laughs> It's not yet determined who he is, other than he's some sort of hero, anti-hero. He's like an anti-hero. He, the diet, he's a diet anti-hero, because you don't really ever not like him. Even when he's no. doing something against... Even when he's doing something you don't necessarily like, you know... It's, you just know you're in for a good time. Well, and I think a good way to point... A good way to make a comparison is if you've ever at all done any type of... Piracy. Like, well, piracy. Have <laughs> you ever done any type of game playing where it deals with character alignments? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who do like role playing and they pick their character alignment. There's, there's lawful good. There's neutral good. There's chaotic good. And then there's the same for lawful, neutral, <clears throat> um, true neutral. I think, and then chaotic neutral. There's and then there's lawful evil. Neutral evil, I think, and chaotic evil. And he's like the most perfectly cast person, to the prime example of what a chaotically neutral character He's serving be. himself. He's serving himself he's almost like, completely. He's like Mel Gibson's character kind of in the movie Payback. Right. He doesn't want any more than he's due. Right. He's just He just wants his shit back. You say he wants his shit back or he wants his shit back? <laughs> he wants well, his both, ship. really. I mean, all, really my, all of his shit was on that boat. <laughs> all of his shit was on that ship, so... There's a ship in at the dock there in Port Royal, and he sort of uh, Jedi mind tricks two Dudley McDumdums into having a conversation with himself about uh, it's a riddle, and I can't remember what the riddle was. I can't remember either. But these two just there's a there's a big ceremony happening. It's the uh, it's the announcement of Elizabeth marrying the engagement or whatever Commodore yeah Commodore Norrington, and the only two people in not on the only two people on the island not invited are. Heckle and Jekyll here, mm-hmm. and they're left to guard the one of the boats. One of the yeah, one of the naval boats, and he flimflams his way. I think he tells them that he is he's Jack Sparrow or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gets he gets he's not the droids you're looking for, and he gets up onto the ship and tries to steal it, and they catch him. Right. Um, I mean, he's a classic trickster in this movie, and you don't see you don't see a character like that very often. And some, one of the comparisons I made is that he's doing a lot of things that you would see Bugs Bunny do in a Warner Brothers cartoon. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a classic trickster, and that was used more in earlier, like, Silver Age, you know, Hollywood, that you yeah. don't see it as often portrayed in movies like you used to. I like that. I didn't, I didn't really think about that. So he gets caught, 
uh, on this boat, and they capture him, and they're going to haul him in and presumably hang him or whatever. And he's on this longboat back to shore. And Elizabeth, who has been shoehorned into her corset, because Elizabeth, I guess evidently Elizabeth was too fat and needed to be shrunken down even it's more. It's the latest fashion yeah. from, is it Paris or is it from London? I mean, well, London, way, it's London. The latest fashion from London. Well, apparently so the she's, women in London don't know how to breathe. She's super short of breath and takes herself over to the cliff's edge up top from her own ceremony and bum over noggin and down the... A fall that would kill anyone. The water doesn't look that deep there. The water doesn't look that deep and there are rocks. And there are rocks, yeah. And she falls in Captain Jack sees her her fiance up top sees her and starts freaking out what are they going to do Jack Sparrow dives in to save her as she's starting to sink her her, her medallion her bling as I referred to it throughout my notes her her stolen bling puts out a sort of a <laughs> sort of all the things that you hear now in trailers all yeah. the time <laughs> pay attention it's a, a nice little ripple it is kind of cool because like immediately, like the weather starts to change. Mm-hmm. It's just a great effect. That that whole mood setting of there's something special about this medallion that you stole. That you still don't know <laughs> what it is about it. So Jack dives in, saves her. Um, she asks for him to be. They're, they're still going to hang him. Yeah. Well, they found it. They found pirate. Pirate. They're like, Jack, gonna, Captain gonna Jack Sparrow. Uh, which is a real tattoo Johnny Depp got, I think, after the movie. Yeah, I think so. It was so. fake before, but he got it after. Uh, they're still going to hang him, and she kind of pleads on, on his behalf, and he Jack Sparrows it, flips the script, and then takes her hostage. So he's just, he's but, just, he's just trying to escape the island. Yeah. And during, during his escape, he finds his way into the uh, blacksmith shop, and that's where Will Turner shows up, and they have their first lightsaber duel of the movie. Yeah. How in the hell is every pirate a, a skilled swordsman? Because pirates were working class. Like yeah. they were, they were uh, well, they working also, class well, sailors. They weren't. Well, not even just that. I think they, there's there's movie pirate and then there's real pirate. These are movie pirates. And I'm confusing the two. Because Damn. real pirates. Every time, Travis. Every the time. idea of hidden treasure is a ridiculous concept. On a real pirate in the real pirate world, right? Because it may have been buried or lost, but it was never specifically hidden. Because pirates were gluttons, they would go out, pillage, steal what they could, sell what they could, and then spend everything and get drunk and get women until they were done with what they did, and then get right back on their ship to go do it again. Doesn't sound that bad. Um, the uh, the sword fight itself is. Um it's it's a classic sort of duel. There's it's sort of an Errol Flynnish. Yeah, it's very uh, it's very Princess well Bride. coordinated. Yeah, and there's equal parts, um, you know, parry, thrust, and banter, and all that. Like you know, the dust that gets blown in his face. Yeah, is chocolate. Huh. It's like powdered chocolate. I still don't think it would be that pleasant. I still wouldn't think so either. But that's when the Black Pearl arrives. Yeah. Well, what I also love is with if you realize. His skill as a swordsman, at least. Which uh, one? Um, Turner, William Turner. Mm, yes. He uses that effect more than once, throwing the sword. He throws the sword to keep Jack Sparrow from leaving on the door. Mm-hmm. But then he also uses it at the end to save his life. I don't remember at the end. Uh, he goes to the gallows, gets dropped down, 
And mm. before he drops down, he throws the sword. Oh, and, yes, yes. And drops, <clears throat> and his feet drop onto the sword, which keeps him from... Oh, yes, I remember that. Mm-hmm. It's a I callback. Won't... It's a nice little callback that you see. He uses it to keep him there, but now that he's befriended Jack Sparrow, who has befriended him, he uses it to save his life rather than keep him from escaping. The Black Pearl is not your normal Disney cruise ship, is it? No. Apart from... We haven't met him yet, so I'm just going to go with the order of the people you meet, but... Um, He's a Dwight character from the British office. His name yeah. is Jareth. The two, the Tweedledee and Tweedledum for sure. for the pirates. Or the two, uh, Mr. Kind and Mr. whatever from Diamonds Are Forever. Right. Of this Mr. movie. Mr. Wynn. Mr. Mr. Wynn and Mr. Kind, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just have him, I say Jareth and the British off, uh, Jareth from the British office and another pirate try to kidnap Elizabeth, or rather get that I bling she stole it. from Will. Right. Yeah, and he's, Hello, Poppet. Um, did Will never wonder what happened to that pendant? He may not have known that he may have lost it at sea. That would have been. I got re- I got really hung up on that pendant theft. Oh, now he didn't like it was clearly important enough for him to have a, a, a necklace made out of it. Now his dad, Bootstrap Bill, must have made it for him. But well, yeah. What happened was is Bootstrap Bill at some point had sent it back to his son in London. Mm-hmm. In order to keep the curse going. Because yes. once he knew there was a blood curse, he sent one coin to his son that they may So never, they could never find it. Right, so they could never find it, so they could never have the curse lifted. But I love what the attack on the port very much feels, again, like... Um, very much feels like the ride. Okay. The way, okay. The way that was shot completely very dark the uh, scene in the prison or in the jail cell with all the pirates you know holding out the bone trying mm-hmm. to get the dog to come with the key that right there first thing comes off my mind of that's the ride that very much is that attraction or whatever you want to call it it was very nostalgic and reminiscent of that ride <clears throat> The running around and the pillaging and and things of that nature. Stealing everything. Right. Well, and they also do a good job because you don't know what the deal is with these pirates yet. And the fact that one of the pirates gets that hatchet in the back. And then towards the end of that scene, he shows back up again. And Will Turner's like, whoa, wait a second. What the hell? (laughs) They're after Elizabeth and they're after that coin for some reason. You don't yet know that it's a blood curse. Right. And (laughs) the pirates are going all L.A. riots on Port Royal. (laughs) And every pirate movie has to have a Queequeg character. Uh, a black dude that has... Or an ethnic dude that has... He's bald and he's tattooed. Mm-hmm. And I forget what his name is in this movie. But anyway, they get into... The, Elizabeth. You find out Elizabeth is a little clunky at defending herself, but mm-hmm. she's no... But she's still going to defend yeah, herself. She's not mincemeat. She can, she can hold her own a little bit. She's a little unorthodox. She'll throw a... a a coal pot at you. Right, but I think what's what's really good is the fact that her handmaid or whatever tells her, hey, um, you're the governor's daughter. They're coming for you. And so her first instinct is, I'm going to give them a different last name. Mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. take Will Turner's last name. And it's a good way to make the audience not really realize that now the pirates are like, your name's What? They think she's the daughter. Now they yeah. think she's the daughter. So she screwed herself. Because yeah. they're, not, they're not after her for being Correct. the governor's daughter. They're after her for that shit she stole from Bootstrap Bill's kid. 
I want to bang that drum for the rest of this podcast that she is a thief. Um, so they capture her. They because they, they're they're dead. Mm-hmm. We don't know that yet, but they're an unstoppable force. So they they end up you know they bust up in there. Nice try and all that. And somehow she knows. Um, Parley. Yeah, she, she knows about some of the pirate code. And then my immediate thought was, wait, pirates have a code? Oh, it's more of a guideline. <laughs> Which is another great way to... That follows through. That's used like three or four times oh, yeah. in the movie. There's a callback for that it's a, a great. It's a great callback, too, where it goes from here to the end, and it eventually, it eventually saves Jack. Because they don't leave him behind. Uh, well, it's really, they're really more of a guideline. More of a guideline, really. So she gets out to the ship. They, oh, she's invoked pirate code or whatever. And they pop her on the longboat, and all hostilities are off. And they take her out to the boat to meet Captain Captain Balbosa, mm-hmm. um, who is played expertly well by Jeffrey Rush. I love Jeffrey yeah. Rush. Um, I mean, you could I, tell he was having fun. They were all having fun. Can you tell me one character or one role that was miscast? Miscast? Um, that monkey. No, I can't. It was very well cast. I mean, it's like that was one of the other notes that I had down here. It was just like all, all of even the tertiary characters, like the third tier. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're just. You may have a few lines here and there, but that's it are so perfectly cast and fleshed out that it really makes the film that much more enjoyable to watch. You're having so much more fun because you can tell all of those characters are having fun doing yep. this. Yeah, I, I can't say that any better. Right. You you get out to the boat and she says some invoke parlay this, that, or the other. And I can't quite remember how it... I, I did what you were talking about earlier. I got kind of lost just watching this movie, and my notes suffered a little bit for it. But my favorite line, um, favorite quote from the movie is, I'm, in, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Means no. That was my favorite line. <laughs> delivered by Captain Barbosa. It means no. Um, so she just gives him... She gives him the... The MacGuffin necklace. The, the, the ill-gotten bling. The shit she stole from Will. The ill-gotten bling. He <laughs> <laughs> must be bootstrap bills, kid. Right. I mean, and the fact that with Will Turner being the blacksmith and him knowing how, well, I know how to get you out of here and he just, you got to pop these things at a specific angle and the door hinge comes right off and it's just, <laughs> it's just so creatively written. It doesn't feel like they were just trying to find an easy way out. Everything has a purpose in the script. It might it be a little cutesy or a little, right. little coincid or a, a little um, a little convenient, but it's not like they're trying too hard. Yeah, not no. At all. And again, you're watching a movie about ghost pirates, man. It's not. Yeah, it's a great ghost story, kind of. If you want, if you want to see f- uh, photo real pirates, you need to watch a documentary about piracy. If you want to see a fun romp, swashbuckling, <laughs> a little bit long. Sort of rock and roll movie about pirates. I mean, this is great. Even just going through all my notes, and we're not going to sit here and go point for point until the end of the movie. But it's just like It'd be a four-hour podcast. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to sit here. And go, what doesn't work? My, I put two things. I got a few of the blue screen shots towards the beginning of the film for some reason just really stood out when I watched them that they never did before. Like they open up the windows and you see the coast and part of the island, yeah. and it just it never 
stood out before. Very Phantom Menace. It just, it was like, wow, that really stands out, and it did not stand out before. Um, uh, the other thing was, is the length of the film is a tad bloated, mm-hmm. but I hardly notice it because I'm having so much fun. Yeah. It's it, just, does it need to be two and a half hours? Probably not, but they can use up that time. Yeah, it's not wasted time. It's not wasted it's, You're not time. waiting around. You're not no. languishing in some area. Yeah, it's just a little... You could have trimmed that out and gotten the same effect, but it. The, what I have that doesn't work is the uh, the zombie pirate music number. The CG is just a little clunky by today's standards because mm-hmm. it's um, shit. It's another. It's almost fifteen years old now. Yeah, but it, it, it still holds up, and that could be a callback to the ride because I'm sure the ride initially was mechanical, so yeah. it probably but they looked clunky. Yeah, but the thing was, is they didn't have skeletons that were animatronic and moving around because that wasn't anything to do with the ride itself. There were either skeletons because they were dead pirates. Oh, okay. Or it was pirates alive animatronic looking like actual pirates. Pirates. <laughs> um What's here here's the funny thing now. You can go onto YouTube and find the entire ride someone has recorded the entire ride oh, like, wow. with a good low light and I did that because I wanted to see what it looked like. Yeah. Since then because I really wanted to see what it looked like before the changes, but the problem was is it was changed back in, in 06, and before that, it's rare that someone would have been able to record, previous to that time frame, what the original ride looked like before they made altercations by adding the movie characters into the ride itself. The uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. We don't, need to, we don't need to recount the rest of the, the whole plot of the movie, but you find out that the, the gold is cursed... And once they get the last piece of gold, they have to have a sacrifice over the uh, what I called in my notes here, the Ark of the Aztec Covenant. <laughs> that would be another good title. <laughs> um, the sacrifice it did stick out like it was the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, a little bit. Thought, I thought about that the other day. And the sacrifice has to be the son of Bootstrap Bill, which they think is Elizabeth, and they take some of her blood, and it's not. And then well, what what I love is they lean her head over like they're gonna slit her throat, and then it's just, beep. yeah, <laughs> just cut her. That, head. Was, that was a nice little thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not her. It's Will. Johnny Depp figures it out, sort of, or Captain Jack figures right it out right before he gets an oar to the head. Yeah. <laughs> then he steals the gold so he can become undead and have a, a final good bout with Barbosa to settle the score. Boom, they do. Boom, they win. Good wins. Boom. End of movie. Really bad eggs. Really bad eggs? And really bad eggs. That's part of this. I, I don't, don't remember that part. That's what he says when he's kind of singing the song towards the very end. And I don't know what it is. It's like when he's singing it running around the, the uh, big bonfire with mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And you hear them sing. And so for some reason, that line is in the song or that's what he's added to the song Johnny Depp or I don't know I don't know if it's Captain Jack or I don't know if it was the screenwriters but it's like and really bad eggs is what he says when he's singing the song and I just find it so amusing Um, in regards to trivia yes I had no idea I had no trivia on this I had no idea that Johnny Depp wore contact lenses which served as sunglasses Oh. He, yeah, so he wouldn't be squinting in the sun the entire time. They have tinted sunglass-like 
contact lenses, and I had no idea. That's That's sexy MF. Well, yeah, but I think more than just him wore them, but he wore them more than anybody else. This one was filmed in Australia? No, they filmed it in the Caribbean. Okay. I know. I know. I mean, they filmed it in many different places, but they filmed it primarily in the Caribbean. I know at least one of them had some shots done in in Australia, and he got into some trouble for bringing his dogs undocumented into the country. It, it could have been one of the. It, was, it, it was one may of have the been one of the sequels yeah. too. I don't know, but that sounds familiar. But that may have been one of the sequels. Uh, Robert De Niro was offered the role of Captain Jack Sparrow. Gross. But he declined, thinking the movie wouldn't do well in the box office as many other pirates movies in the past, which. Rightfully so. Number one, that's not your movie. That's not your character. That doesn't work. He would have been I'm terrible. I'm sorry. He would have been terrible, number one. And secondly, I don't see you as a pirate, first of all. I don't see him as anybody in this. But his logic in turning it down at that time made sense. Sure. Going, I don't know if I want to do it. Kira Knightley revealed on a talk show that during the filming of the movie, she had constantly, she had to constantly have padding to make her chest appear like there was something there. <laughs> She's a small girl, yeah. She is. If you, oh. could, if you could change one thing about this, what would you change? Uh, I'm hard-pressed to find anything that I would change to make this film any better than it already is. Maybe trim it down a touch, but I mean, even then... That's the, what I said. Like I said, the length doesn't bother me that much because I always enjoy watching it from beginning to end. I said, I. if you ask me what would you change, nothing... Nothing really. I would maybe change, maybe trim 30 minutes. But where? I'd have to, it would be more work for me to go find 30 minutes to trim out of it than just to set through the additional 30 minutes, wherever it may lie. So I, nothing. I really, I really wouldn't change much. Uh, industrial light and magic designers scan turkey jerky to create the effect of the decomposing skin when the pirates turn into their skeletal forms. Ugh. I found that funny. Turkey jerky. That's an odd... Not just beef jerky. Not just beef jerky, but turkey, turkey jerky. jerky. What's healthier? This film you? also apparently um, effectively removed the pirate movie curse because <laughs> there had been a pirate movie curse for... Why? Huh. Yeah. Even in 95, there was still a pirate movie curse that existed that we'll talk about later, but... You know, even before that, there was many a pirate movie from the mid-70s all the way through the mid-90s that just did not do well. And I I feel like that's probably going to come into play again once this series is done. Was this, is it done now? Are there five of these movies? There's five, and I've been told it's done. Or I've been told. You know, I have my ends of the studio. Sure, no, sure. Yeah. I swear I thought I read something or heard something where this was the final film. Um... But I'm I would have stopped at one. Yeah, uh, just artistically, it's it's a nice one-off story. You could left it. You could have left the ending sort of open for more adventures, but not have to do it. But what was your favorite line? You said something. The uh, when she invokes parlay oh. and uh, I'm disinclined to acquiesce <laughs> to your request means no. Means no. Um, I I had three bits of. Favorite pieces of dialogue. First, it's Will Turner and Jack Sparrow talking, and Will goes, This is either madness or brilliance. And Jack goes, It's remarkable how often those two traits coincide. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they say that when they're in the boat going under the water with the boat that's upside down oh, trying to get to the ship. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, the second one is Jack that just says, Me. I'm dishonest, and a dishonest man you can always trust. 
to be dishonest. Honestly, it's the honest ones you want to watch out for because you can never predict when they're going to do something incredibly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then the last one is when uh, he's talking to, uh, was it? Oh, it was Will Turner and Mr. Gibbs. The guy that they threw water on who was sleeping with the pigs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, then on the fourth day, he roped himself a couple of sea turtles, lashed them together, and made a raft talking about how he, how he escaped the island. It's like he roped a couple of sea turtles? Aye, sea turtles. Will Turner goes, what did he use for rope? And Jack Sparrow says, human hair <laughs> from my back. You know, it's just like, that's so disgusting. Adding to the legend in the most disgusting way possible. Well, and I think he tells that story on more than one occasion, and it has a different, kind of like the Joker in the Dark Knight, where how did he get those scars, and every time he tells it, it's different. Mm -hmm. I think he was telling those two Tweedledee, Tweedledum um, Royal Navy guys. Yes. How And then they made me their chief, and that was probably him telling... His story of how he got off the island, which I thought was again humorous, that every time he told it, it was a different was story. Different. Depending Just to build a legend of, yeah. that no one really knows. I think this movie still holds up. I think the pacing is great. Everybody in it is sexy in their own way. Uh, it's fun. It came about at sort of just the right time in our culture. These are my final thoughts, by the way. If you haven't figured that out, came came around. Uh, about the right time, uh, at least in American culture, when we needed something fun and escapist. Mm-hmm. It's just a couple of years after nine eleven, and I think it it may have done okay as a trilogy, but what I've seen of the sequels, it, it doesn't doesn't need them. No, and what I love about this story, it has a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, it does. It does the job of a trilogy in, in, its, in itself. Yeah, like you said, well cast. Everyone has fun, which means. No matter what you're seeing, if you're seeing a community level play of anything, as long as everyone is on stage having fun, you're going to enjoy watching it. And that's that's how I feel about this. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I actually had two different ones compared to does it still hold up? Sometimes I combine the two. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. Me too. Me too. And sometimes I won't. This one I broke them apart. It says, does it still hold up? Absolutely. Every time I finish watching this film, it makes me want to watch the next one, even though I'll be sorely disappointed. (laughs) The sequels became so much more bloated in length and visuals that it tends to be quite exhausting, at least at times. It's probably been a good ten years since I've seen the entire original trilogy, when it was still just a trilogy and not a tiresome franchise that has now expanded to five films. Every time I finish that one, I'm like, ah, maybe it's maybe I was just overly critical. No, but I'm afraid if I grab it or if I find it and rent it, I'm just gonna go. Damn no, it! I was wrong. I was, I was, I right. was right. I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> I mean, some of the other people they get to cast those other characters are great, but it's still just they filmed the other two movies back to back too. But you know, and that's can sometimes. Heard a film, but Matrix Three, Back to the Future Three. Yeah, they they filmed. Those two with the second one in the series at the same time. Yeah. It says, The film, uh, just like the ride, serves its primary purpose by taking its patrons, or in this instance, its audience, providing them brief respite from the summer heat while also entertaining them. It's like a ride, but rather than standing in line, 
You're sitting waiting. in the theater. You know, yeah. you're so now you're sitting in the theater and you know, you're just cooling off for fifteen minutes here. It's two and probably two and a half hours about two hours and thirty four minutes. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, checks every box that is required and needed for a perfectly executed summer blockbuster. An engaging story, exciting action and adventure, wonderfully charismatic characters, a rousing score, expertly written dialogue, and comedic relief, all placed in the capable and talented hands, uh, or excuse me, all placed in the hands of a talented and capable director. Which was who? Who directed this? Uh, Gore, Ber- Gore Verbinski. Gore Verbinski, yeah. I right. always stumble over his name because that g and the v. I'm still waiting for the release of Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect way to end this half. When we come back, we are going to talk about one movie. Of the, one of the worst movies. <laughs> Not even pirate movies. No, it, I mean, in, a, in, in of nothing else, it's also considered one of the most colossal blockbuster failures implosions whatever you want to call it super turds yeah it was not a blockbuster it was the the (laughs) anti-blockbuster so uh, yeah that movie is uh, the 1995 cinematic drain circler called Cutthroat Island yeah we'll get into that next we set sail for Cutthroat Island Put your backs into it. Why don't you row? Why don't you swim? We can't leave yet, Captain. We haven't put enough food on board. We need less mouths. I really think that from now on we should be partners. 50-50. 60 40. I find myself being fired upon by an entire ship! Let's finish this. of years ago i made a new year's resolution to not look at the aftermath of a car crash (laughs) and up until just now i have succeeded in it um we had a little technical difficulty and had to start that trailer a second time and i almost dumped out of it halfway through and you said no nope you have to go there's no turning back now you have to listen to it a second time all the way through yeah and it only would have been beneficial if it actually caught what I said, which was maybe, if we're lucky, this will be the last movie for a while that has Frank Langella in it. And uh, listening to that trailer, oddly enough, um, I, for 
I came up with my final thoughts, which I'm going to give to you right now, <laughs> completely, out of, completely out of order. Um, the first movie we watched in this episode was Pirates of the Caribbean, a movie based on a ride featuring robot pirates. This movie is Cutthroat Island, a movie featuring robotic pirates. <laughs> or a robot that's had a stroke. Or, in the case of Matthew Modine, a robot who is surprised every time he says a line that his uh, is he surprised that his voice works is he surprised that his ears are working for the first time is he surprised he's actually getting a paycheck to be in a movie i don't know <coughs> yeah it seems like he had that that just that additional seasoning of i'm trying to have an an accent but not really like he's trying to be errol flynn like he looks very errol flynn yes but he's trying to be maybe that's Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Maybe I'm looking at it. No, I'm not. No, you're not. They played it wrong. (laughs) They tried to make him into a. Welcome back, by the way. Uh, Cutthroat Island is the movie. Second half of the episode that we're watching. If I haven't told you yet. Um. Yeah, they tried to make him very dashing and swashbuckling, and he just comes off as not. Conniving, just not likable. He's not likable. No, not and this really. this movie is not likable. <laughs> this movie came about in the dark days before there was a pirate movie every three years, and someone named Remy Harlan uh, decided that Jenny, uh, Jenny, Gina Davis would be Rennie Harlan um, and Gina Davis, whatever. Remy and Jenny, you're bringing in your rummy. Remy and, and rummy. Cokey. Remy Harlan and Gina decided that Gina Davis should uh, be the lead in a pirate movie. Probably nothing to do with the fact that they were married at the time. Actually, I think they didn't get married until they started filming this and they considered this their honeymoon. My God, that's horrible. Oh, wow. My honeymoon was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It was at the beach and uh, sort (laughs) of... I won't say Caribbean, but this would have been a shitty honeymoon. (laughs) Watching this movie on my honeymoon would be a shitty honeymoon. (laughs) I like the idea of a of a uh, a strong female lead being your pirate, but <laughs> can it be a strong female lead? Gina Davis is sort of I love Gina Davis. You and I except were, in this movie, except in this movie. Um, and going into this, I hadn't seen it in several years. I remember when it came out, or at least came out to where I could see it on um, back in the day. It was called Prime Star. Now it's Directv. Um, my friend Kyle and I love this movie. We watched it all the time. The only thing we, we didn't like was that line at the, at the end, which we'll get to later. Um, but 15-year-old me, 16-year-old me, thought this movie was top tits. This was a good... Rollicking adventure. Rollicking, large in scope, spared no expense adventure. And <laughs> He spared no expense. And it shows. <laughs> and I watched it. Watched it for this episode. And then and I was like, "What? What? Man, this was, I was a stupid, stupid kid. I had terrible taste in movies." This was the second time that after I after after rewatching Masters of the Universe in and GI Joe <laughs> that and I put this in, and within about ten to fifteen minutes, I went. Full Ron Burgundy jumping down into the zoo going, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> but still had to keep chugging along. You no. had to. Yeah. You had to look at the car wreck 
so you could describe it yeah. to the authorities. I mean, <clears throat> I really tried to to provide us a, a brief synopsis. Why don't you do summary? that? Because I I, I watched did, it and I still don't quite freaking know. Why don't you do that? You're, you seem to be well, better at that. Than well, me. this is all I wrote. Cutthroat Island, the swashbuckling epic of disastrous proportions, sank almost immediately after setting sail on the last weekend of December of 1995. <laughs> The film stars Gina Davis and Matthew Modine as pirate and slave who are in hot pursuit to collect all three parts to a map that will lead them to the bountiful lost Spanish treasure located at, you guessed it, Cutthroat Island. I thought you were going to say Whittier, California. Yes. That would have been that (laughs) That would have been... Thank you to the city of Whittier. Hey, you remember that time in the mid-90s where Gina Davis was considered an action star? No. no. Neither do I. <laughs> but she sure did try with her then-husband and director, Rennie Harlan. Even after this colossal failure of a film, studios were still willing to throw money at the Hollywood power couple. And she paired up with him <clears throat> again just one year later and did The Long Kiss Goodnight. A marginally better film, but only because the script was penned by Shane Black. <clears throat> and also because it was kind of like La Femme Nikita. And everyone liked her having this short like bleach blonde hair. That was a different look for her. It was. I didn't I did not like her in that movie. I did not like that movie and I do not like this movie. <laughs> it's because I wouldn't say I've got Gina Davis on some sort of pedestal, but she's been in a couple of my favorite movies. Not not that Beetlejuice is any sort of It's a nostalgic. It's just got a special place in my heart because Beetlejuice. But because Beetlejuice? Because Beetlejuice. Let's not say it a third time. Um but she was in a league of their own, for God's sake. That's Laverne directed one of the greatest movies there, and Gina Davis was great in it. You made a good point uh, earlier that maybe Gina Davis wasn't that good of an isn't that good of an actress, and she just she was part of a of a greater machine that was. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. I think you might be right. I've never thought of that, but I think you might be right. There are. I mean, she's won an Academy Award. That doesn't mean that she's a great actress. Uh, Thelma and Louise. No, uh, which is also not. A never bad seen. Movie, I've never seen but that. One, that's so. Ridley Scott, who's a considerably better director than Rennie Harlan. Are you <laughs> sure about that? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I think she won it for the Accidental Tourist, and that was Lawrence Kasdan who did that, and and she played an oddball character to begin with. And that role was just perfect for how she played it, and so I think that's right. I think that's I think that's what she won. Anyway, um, I didn't have a lot of initial plugs when I was watching this. I mean, it wasn't great. It was one of the first ones I started on when we said, "Hey, these are the ones we're going to do for our first season." And I'm like, "All right." And then I started watching it, and I was just like, well, the first thing I wrote down was, this picture is evenly paced, yet still seems to drag on for 20 to 30 minutes longer than it most likely needs to. Yeah, it's too long. What I do remember about it fondly from long ago and from just a few weeks back are... Long ago and a few weeks back. (laughs) It's your new intro for... The set, like, the, the sets are great. The locations are great. The filming techniques are great. They, like, they, it feels kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean does. It's big in scope. It's it's a large world, right? Uh, but once you once you pull into that world, the people in there 
are sort of two-dimensional. Just, or one-dimensional. Or one-dimensional. Just stereotypes of pirates, which they were in Pirates of the Caribbean, but the characters had different traits. They were different. They weren't robots, for God's sake. It's. I can't believe I didn't notice that earlier. Yeah, it is, it is a good observation that it's like they pulled the animatronic pirates from the ride and put them in this movie. They probably would have done better. I mean, at least the pirates can take direction. Right. Uh, uh, the other, the other like glaring note that I had for this one while watching it was production design and quality are nice, but it's apparent that Rennie Harlan can't stay away from the explosives in this film. <laughs> Have you noticed? Did you know? I don't know if you noticed that, but after the end of every single one, boom! I boy, not till you mention it here, but yeah, but it's like they blow up everything after they leave it. And I, I'll I'll give him this much: the effect, the just the the explosion of that ship was pretty fantastic. It was. You could see the splinters. Yeah. So they had that camera cranking a lot to capture all the frames and bits and pieces of that. I'll give them this too. They just they destroyed ship. every set, alleviating any possibility of there being a freaking sequel. Yeah. We're gonna do a sequel. Nope. We've blown up everything from the original movie. <laughs> why don't you, the ships and everything else. Why don't you wait about eight years? We've blown for... up our reputations. <laughs> we've, we've destroyed the box office. Um, I'm, I'm with you. The pacing is great. It's the story is a little hard to follow. It, it cuts back and forth. They yeah. don't just kind of like it. Kind of just jumps in, but they don't tell you what you're jumping into. Well, and here's the funny thing. I, something I thought I would never initially say. Is the fact that I almost watched this movie twice. I had never seen it before. I had heard of it, and it just didn't seem to interest me. And so my first viewing was a few weeks ago. Wow. And I fell asleep during part of it, which is understandable. understandable. And then when I decided, I'm like, I didn't write a lot of notes on this, which I still didn't. But I'm like, I need to go back. And I popped it in and started it, and I was kind of just putting a few thoughts down and I'm like I don't really remember this scene where they go into this tavern in order to find the second piece to the map had no idea all of that I didn't watch 25 minutes I watched the back of my eyelids for 25 (laughs) minutes and so I'm like I don't remember any of this and it made the story a little easier to grasp once I was paying attention to it but it still didn't seem like it was planned out very well. It just there's a couple of points where, so let me back up into the plot. There's so they're after <clears throat> Gina Davis plays Morgan, a pirate captain, who inherits the ship from her dad, who is killed by her uncle Dog, who has the most complicated pirate sword slash giant steak knife ever. So is he the fourth brother in the? Are they all four brothers? Would seem that way. Yeah. I mean, I know I say that, and like I sound like I'm an idiot going, but it's like they play like. Why did three of them have three parts to a map, and then this brother? Because he's because the, he's, he's the black he's sheep, he's the yeah. butthole. Yeah, he's the butthole brother. <laughs> he's the butthole pirate. <laughs> he's the butthole pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't take that in any other way, but that's going to be. Uh... <laughs> So the uh, the title of this is the anti blockbuster or the butthole pirate. <laughs> At least so far, he's yeah he's the dog is the he's like the bad brother. Um, and 
sort of the black sheep of the family or the black pearl of the family or, or whatever. Or the black dog or whatever his yeah. name. Yeah. So Because his name's Dog. Dog. His name is even, even spelled D-A-W-G. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't the disambiguation. So he's after the treasure. Morgan inherits the ship from her father who was killed by Dog. But don't worry. Shave my head first because I need to show you where my part of the map is. Oh, yeah, that did happen. And then they after them. I'm dead, you're going to need to keep the map, meaning you're going to need to scalp my Shave head. it extra close. Dollar Shave Club. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so they're both after this treasure. You know what? This is going to be like therapy. You and I are going to talk through this problem. This <laughs> is this movie, and we're going to sort out what the hell it's about. They are after, they're both after the, the different pieces of map, which are on completely different pieces of media. One part's on a scalp, one part is on the bottom of a hogshead, or which is like a whiskey barrel, and the third part is on, I forget what the third, is it just... Well, the third part, I believe Dog had already collected from the brother that they never see. addressed or seen in the movie. And it was a cloth, right? It was cloth, it was in something tied around his neck that yeah, had to be yeah. stolen later yeah. in order to collect it. So there's three different chunks of this map that somebody – I can't remember why they're on – I guess it keeps everyone honest. Yeah. keeps everyone keeps any one person from getting the treasure. But again, in regards to the philosophy of a pirate, why would you hide and why would you – why wouldn't yeah, – Why wouldn't yeah. they just spend it straight yeah. away? Why is I, there – Yeah. Because you have to have something to chase. So <laughs> there – after a map and then ostensibly and then ultimately after this treasure that's where we meet uh, Matthew Modine who we've already well they need him because they think it's in Latin and they yes, need someone he, who can read Latin and, he's and a, then after they break him out of the jail and after Matthew Modine says I can't believe an entire ship is shooting at me or whatever when they finally get into the carriage, where it, fe- it where that scene honestly feels like there are four uh, guys standing on the outside doing this, shaking the carriage. Yes, and they make a high speed like it's a high speed chase through the streets of Port Royal, and they in discover a, in a buggy, in a yeah, carriage, yeah, in a carriage that feels like there's four sound guys or prop guys just shaking the carriage. Uh, they discover that it's the that the map is not in Latin, but in fact, when she pulls out her knife, she discovers that it's not that it's in Latin, that it's written backwards. It's a mirror image, and they don't see that until they see the reflection of the map on the knife. And I'm like, oh, okay, so <laughs> on to the next explosion. Um. Yeah, and then it's after that. It's a cat and mouse game within a cat and mouse game. They, Gina Davis, and Matthew Modine's character, sort of cat and mouse back and forth between double crossing, triple crossing each other to get chunks of the map to get to the treasure, and then all those two, their little pair, is in cat and mouse with <coughs> Uncle Dog, who is after it as well because he's the butthole pirate. He's the butthole pirate. <laughs> um, Straight into what doesn't work. Um, it's mostly the chemistry between Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. <clears throat> they they tried to flip the gender roles, which I think is great, and they did an okay enough job of it. But they still tried to kind of hang on onto the older notions. And in, in some some bits of it, Gina Davis looks like she she's into it and having fun. And in other days, it looks like she's just standing in for the real 
actress playing the role. And also, <laughs> the name Dog is effing stupid. <laughs> they, they took, go ahead. Yeah, oh no, I mean, yeah, it's just like when she's standing there, yeah, yeah I have your balls. I mean, yes. <sighs> it's not even, it's not, it's not even sort of cute. Over innuendo. It's. I guess it maybe it like worked a, better when you read it, but when it actually acted out on the screen, it just felt like, stupid. Like a Mountain Dew commercial. Yeah. Or a Taco Bell commercial featuring a Mountain Dew product. <laughs> but I was like, Gina Davis feels miscast, as well as Matthew Modine. While she seems fit to the, while she seems to fit the build physically, she doesn't buy into her role. It's as if the film's editor purposefully used the first take of Gina Davis's performance for each scene. Her delivery of the dialogue feels unnatural. And what did you say? It's like she's like, had a concussion. Yeah, she's like she's like wooden and, and has a concussion. Confused. Uh, the pseudo-accents that Davis and Modine have, like they're not quite English, but trying not to sound American, <laughs> fails at its most basic level. And did the writers name the antagonist dog just so Gina Davis could say bad dog right before she kills him, firing a cannon and blowing him out of right out of the ship? I would hope not, but that's what it feels like. That's I'm the like line. I have the ending line I have the best line at the end of the at the end of the third act. What is it? Bad dog. Well that's right around that. Okay. <laughs> so we got a off. so we got a, a pirate movie, Lady Captain, okay, great. And the final line before she kills the the villain is "bad dog." Yeah, I think we've got it. Let's we got just it. let's that's, just that's lunch. Let's plug it in later. I just, just I'm just going to go through so I don't have to keep going back and forth. The trivia I have on this, which is the uh, the flag that she flies, Morgan flies on her ship, is the flag of Calico Jack Rackham or Rackham. Um, he was one of the few Caribbean pirates to employ women, and Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, whom he later gave his ship to. They did a little bit of their little little back backing research on it, so it's kind of cool. My mind was, uh, the film is known as one of the biggest blockbuster bombs of all time. Christmas movie, right? Uh, yeah, I think they released Christmas it. Time. Yeah, at an already inflated budget of one hundred and fifteen million dollars at that time, uh, the film was pulled from theaters two weeks after its release. Michael Douglas originally agreed to do the film on two conditions. Uh, filming had to start immediately because he was only available for a limited time and his character had to have the same amount of screen time as Gina Davis. Douglas eventually pulled out, claiming that Davis's role was expanded at his character's expense. Davis wanted to quit when Douglas did, but she was contractually obligated to finish the film. <laughs> After that... Uh, what was it? Uh, after Douglas quit, Rennie Harlan was so preoccupied with trying to find a male lead that set uh, construction and script work were done without his input. And Harlan didn't like what he saw when shooting was set to begin, leading to massive, expensive rebuilding and rewriting. So it was just one toppled upon another colossal failure pushing down the hill and just collecting more crap as it rolled towards the bottom. <laughs> you roll it, you take a somersault down shit mountain. <laughs> Don't be upset when you pick up some turds on the way. See, there's a... <laughs> it's a bit wordy. That is a bit wordy. Bit That's turdy. our subtitle because we want a sequel to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, when the film entered pre-production, Carolco was on the straight course towards uh, the obituary pages. <laughs> straight? Uh, they were... Uh, yeah. Well, what's funny is is they uh, they filed for bankruptcy six weeks before the film was set to release, <laughs> so they already knew that they were going under. They were in the unemployment line right behind Canon. Yeah, they needed one more... They needed a blockbuster to stay solvent, and so they figured, well, this is our last chance effort. And, it was, and it was, <laughs> and their last chance was their literal last chance. What else did you? What else did you have? I, just, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to just get in the ring and just start punching Gina Davis in the in the ribs. But I get that they're trying to make her sort of tough. But when your when your lead gets takes a musket ball to the abdomen, you think they'd at least be sweating. Or show some sort of indication that they're in some sort of pain, mm-hmm. um, but no, she's she's super tough, man, and just takes it all as as he pulls that, and I think they kind of show it pulls that musket ball. Oh yes, out of her abdomen, um, and that's the and point. And she that's proceeds the point. to sleep with him. Right that's afterwards. that's when she falls in love with him. Yeah, yeah, you saved and, me, and I'm sure there's not going to be any pain in the thrusting uh, into my lower abdomen. <laughs> <laughs> The words "colossally stupid" seem fitting to me for that scene. <laughs> it's like it didn't. It's like they took the. You said they took her first take. It's like they took like a first, like just a spitball first meeting writers' room session, put it on on screen. They just wrote like a really skeletal. Will it be a scene when like she's been shot and he takes the bullet out and fall, they fall in love and then that's it and that's what they put on screen. There's no subtext. There's no. There's no chemistry to them. They're 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 water and water. You know, there's there's no volatile chemistry. There's no love chemistry. It's just yeah, and robotic, man. It is. There is no chemistry. Um, what I will say is the exteriors are huge. I said that earlier. It huge. looks it huge. It looks good. It looks like it's gonna. It feel looks like, like a pirate movie. It looks like a great pirate movie, and in some ways, until it, you hit play. <laughs> Until you turn the volume up, yeah. Um, Gina Davis, I don't think was right for the part. No, um, she just doesn't have the venom. I, I don't know that she's. I'm trying to remember a long kiss, good night, but she didn't seem. I didn't like her in that movie either. It seemed she seemed wrong for that. She just doesn't have. She she can't do. She can't do mean. She can't do. Angry. Oh. She's a sweetheart, you know. I mean, I think what's surprising about this movie is that it went, they were going to go full gusto into doing this regardless of the outcome, knowing the further they got into production, they knew this is probably going to sink us. going to make a lot of people unemployed. I mean, they even shot it at the, the Mediterranean Studios in Malta, but it says it's the same studio... Where uh, box office bombs Orca, Raise the Titanic, and Popeye were also shot. When we talk about <laughs> foreshadowing. I'm like, we're going to go shoot over here. <laughs> we're going to go there. It's not We're going to go there. The Curse but, of Malta. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> fact that it's like Frank Langella considers Dog to be one of his three favorite roles. The other two are Richard Nixon's. Of Richard Nixon and written in Frost Nixon and Skeletor in Masters of the Universe because he got. Uh, not only to be a pirate, but a scene-chewing, over-the-top bad guy pirate. Which is true. That's what he did. 
and no one ever told him, hey, uh, let's redo, let's retake, let's do another take, dial it down from 11 <laughs> to 6. To like, yeah, 6. And I was going to say 11. Yeah. He's too much. He's at 12. <laughs> <laughs> he was at 12. He's like, yeah, apparently the man loves being able to just go for broke in a roll. Which, yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> How many the 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 real world implication of this is how many people did this movie cause to be unemployed at Christmas time? <laughs> a lot, you know. Speaking of Franklin Jell, it takes me into my favorite my favorite line in the movie or my favorite bit of dialogue. Um, it's actually, it's kind of good. Um, you did a Skeletor line in the Masters of the Universe episode. Mine is a dog line in this, and it's um, there's this uh, fellow named Scully is kind of sold out Morgan and, and crew. And uh, dog says, I'm, "I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm grateful to you, Mr. Scully." Mr. Scully says, "My pleasure." And then dog grabs his head and he says, "But if you were ever disloyal to me the way you were to Morgan, it will be my pleasure to cook you alive and eat you." Now get out of my eyes. The way he says it is, it's pretty great, and it's like it's a, a little shining spot in that he has some sort of loyalty somewhere, and it's the only real sort of bit of like. The code that he follows. Yeah, it's just a small glimmer of something in this movie. And it's, you know, I mean, you could throw a dime in a vat of shit and there's something glimmering in it, but I'm not going after it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you had a favorite line because I didn't. I said, I wish I could provide one, but the dialogue is pretty bad and not even in a good way. It's just meh at best. Yeah. It's not like, man... Most of this movie sucks, but this line's really horrible, and I'm going to use this because it's just bad. I mean, yeah, there's some bad lines, but they're not even, like, really bad. They're just not good. Yeah. Yeah, they're like wet cardboard. I, I say wet cardboard a lot, but that's what that's what a lot of it's like. Wooden, wet cardboard. Let me just run through my my stable of insults I have for things when they're, they're bland or boring. Good. Yeah. If, if I had a magic wand for this movie, I would recast the two main actors... And better use Frank Langella. No, screw that. I would actually, I'd recast the three main characters. I would I'd make Morgan Sigourney Weaver. I would make Sean Carrie Elways. And I would make Dog uh, Mike Starr, who, uh, he would have been great in it. He's the guy from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, the Pick up the hitchhiker. Pick him up! The big fat dude. I hear the okay. most annoying sound in the world. He would have been a good, it would have made it cheesier. He's the one that, had the uh, the heart attack, yeah. right? You uh, son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> you heard him. Those were his last words. You blamed me. <laughs> Not if you count the gurgle. <laughs> Not if you count the gurgle. Um, <laughs> my, I have a, oh. and I would have done away with the love interest. Okay, yeah, too. they should have just removed that completely because it was not believable on, on a on an emotional level. On a no. On a physical level of hey, by the way, I just. It removed a musket ball from your abdomen. Let's have sex. I'll give you my musket ball. Yeah. Uh, if I, if you could make one change to the film, what would it be? Uh, go back in time and tell Mario Casar, the head of Carolco at the time, to go the other way. Pull the plug on Cutthroat Island and instead put all of your money into Crusade, which would have been another Paul Verhoeven Schwarzenegger vehicle. Ooh, what was that? Okay. I'm glad you asked because I've done a little research. Sweet. 
Sit back and enjoy. I've taken some excerpts from this one article that really goes into a bit of detail regarding that. And it goes here. It says, excerpts from One Room with a View series entitled Best Films Never Made. Mm, I love those. If there was one thing Paul Verhoeven <coughs> knows how to do, it is to create a huge action movie with bodies flying everywhere. If there is one thing Arnold Schwarzenegger knows how to do, it's being the person throwing the bodies. <laughs> For a brief moment in the early 90s, both director and leading man had an opportunity to combine their destructive talents for what surely could have been the most fascinating medieval epic of the decade called Crusade. With a script written by uh, Waylon Green, who also wrote The Wild Bunch, uh, Paul Verhoeven was initially in talks to direct protein-powdered muse Arnold Schwarzenegger in Crusader... (laughs) In Crusade from around the time of uh, 1990's Total Recall, the proposed cast included Jennifer Connelly, Gary Sinise, and Charlton Heston alongside a reported budget of $100 million, promising to be uh, a project depicting entire civilizations out to destroy each other in classic Verhoeven fashion. The action opens with peasant thief Hagen, Schwarzenegger, being sentenced to death for the illicit raiding of a corrupt clergyman's goods. Uh, Having been thrown in jail just as the Pope himself arrives to drum up support for a crusade to the Holy Land, Hagen escapes the noose by staging the apparent miracle. Realizing from the reaction of the awestruck peasant masses Hagen's value as a promotional tool, the bloodthirsty pontiff enlists the the convict on Christendom's quest for Middle East domination. Add to the mix the evil Count Emmick, played by Gary Sinise, who just so happens to be Hagen's half-brother and is also intent on erasing his less royal sibling from the family heraldy. (coughs) Their first clash occurs in the Middle East before the unfortunate ex-prisoner is dragged into slavery and sold to warriors Uh, Whilst in the Holy Land, he experiences his road to Damascus moment, uh, realizing the Muslims in Jerusalem are a moderate people keen to avert the onslaught of the bellicose Christian invaders. It's here that Hagen also meets his love interest, um, who he tries to save from uncertain fate as the city teeters on the brink of bloody devastation. With little confidence that Verhoeven could prevent Crusade's costs bloating to beyond $100 million, Carol Cole <coughs> opted to fund the prospectively cheaper Rennie Harlan-helmed Cutthroat Island. In a hilarious twist, Harlan's proto-sparrow uh, pirate epic, which I love how they put that in there, stating basically uh, it's about 10 years before Pirates of the Caribbean right. broke that curse, it says this epic would go on to be the biggest movie... Uh, Flop of its time, costing 115 million and recouping a mere 10 million at the box office. It was the film that bankrupted Caraco six weeks before it even reached theaters, uh, with tales of large sums of production money being spent on specially shipped crates of V8 juice to the shoot on Malta for the consumption of Harlan and his wife Gina Davis. It appears that Verhoeven would have been a much safer bet. For the uncertain studio, I want to see what that movie looks like rather than ever having to watch Cutthroat Island again. That could have been cool. They lost like 
uh, I think they ended up having to pay out money because of contracts. They had to pay out money to Verhoeven and to Schwarzenegger. So they still ate like $20 million saying, here, sorry, we have to go this way. This is a better chance of what we're going to be able to possibly Because you guys already don't have a proven hit with... I know we're circling the drain, but I'm hoping that there might be a plug in here somewhere. (laughs) The one thing I noticed out of that is um, Hagen, played by Gary Sinise, right, is the half-brother of the Pope. (laughs) So would he not be a (laughs) co-Hagen? He might. And I stopped myself from interrupting you for that joke. I wanted to wait. <laughs> no, I, I wanted mean, to wait till just, the end. That would have been interesting. That would have been different. And that's what. That's what. It's like if you could change one thing. Yeah, tell them to go the other direction. <laughs> I would change history. <laughs> I would change history. I know it said change one thing in the movie, in the film. What would it be? Change well, as, history. As painful as it is, we should we should dial back into the movie we're talking about. And get to the point where they get to Cutthroat Island, and they find the treasure, Nathan. They do. They put the scalp and the hog's head and the cloth together, and they find this treasure. 30 feet down a cliff, and then another mile and a half into a cave somewhere, and mostly submerged in water. How did they get it all out, number one? How did they get it down there? How did they get it down there? How did they get it out? But my the biggest thing I had with this movie was... After all of this, and bad dog happens, and you know everything blows up, and and they put a marker. They put a Shaw did the marker. Yeah, know, Morgan put the marker. Morgan put the marker. Floater. Okay, how are you getting all that treasure out from the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. in the 1600s? Not with three barrels, he can. Not with three barrels. Exactly. Yes, you know where it is. How are you getting it up? Dive down to get it. Well, and, yeah. you don't have to worry about that. It's it's movie magic. We'll just cut to the next scene where you said, what's what's her great line? She said, you earned this, man. Every last doubloon. <laughs> As if she's a person that doesn't speak any English whatsoever and doesn't know what the word she's saying means, but she's able to enunciate them perfectly. In a way where she doesn't feel comfortable. like She, she doesn't look like she's comfortable saying Right, exactly. Right. And you know, there's a final fight there where we're going to talk about it one more time. The the ships pull in closer, and there's pretty. It's a pretty bitching yeah. pirate fight. The, the the action's real. It looks good. I'm sure people could have been hurt if they they may have been. Like it's authentic looking. Um, and they fight. There's sword fights. There's there's gut jabs and all that. And uh, for the second time in my movie review career, which is very short, um, Frank Langella awkwardly sword fights. And they get to the bowels of the ship. He ends up... You feel like Morgan's down and out. He's in front of her about to take her head off or whatever. And she pulls the, the, the canvas back on this giant... Cannon. And hits it with uh, whatever they used to touch off the fuses. And lights the fuse, looks at him, and she says, Bad dog. And it instantly fires... A cannonball into his stomach, and he goes for one hell of a ride. And that's basically the end. The end. The time this movie came out was December, like we, just, we talked about, of 1995. And at that point uh, in my life, I was into the Beatles and cigarettes. In that order? They shared equal esteem. <laughs> uh, and this movie, I think, hit like cable or whatever. 
l- not long after because they pulled it from theaters, and I'm not sure how how that worked. But I remember, still, yeah, it still seemed like it was a good six months to a year before it showed up on like HBO or whatever the other premium cable channels were at the time. Um, Showtime or whatever. <laughs> I also have here written: um, Was the gold made of TNT? Jesus, the ship was just atomized. At the end when they blow it up, oh, there's, yeah. there's nothing left it's, of it. It's obliterated. It's just, that was an amazing explosion. It was great. They blew up a full... They had to have blown up a full-size ship and were over-cranking to capture every... Like you said, every single splinter of that explosion. It was amazing, and I was like... That was the real star of this movie, was the explosion machine. Yeah. Yeah. I, sit, like I said, sitting here talking about it, it's not nearly as bad. Um, but I remember this movie. I remembered this movie fondly, and was I wrong? <laughs> and boy, it, was I disappointed it, when I rewatched it. Yes, it misfires on almost every opportunity. Um, story, cast, pacing, <sighs> story, cast, and pacing, and pacing, <laughs> and story. So cast bad and that we mentioned them twice. <laughs> like I said, I, I take my notes a little differently than Nathan does. I do them in real time. And sometimes that means I miss a scene or two, uh, which you probably have evidenced here. But I like to do my stuff in real time. And I is it real time? I was about twenty minutes into this, and I thought, kind of like you, I instantly regret this because there's it's enjoyable for me to do this, and it wasn't in any way because I I couldn't I needed to watch the movie to know what in the hell was going on, which didn't really help. But it's hard to suss out anything in it. <laughs> I really relied on IMDb to give me some info on it. Oh, that's what's happening here. Oh, okay. And it's first too- time around watching that movie. It was not as clear, in my opinion, as to what was going on as it could have been. Absolutely, their story trimming, editing. Um, it was just disjointed. And I'm going to do my final thoughts, and then I'm going to wipe my hands at this movie and let you say what you need to say. And we're going to talk about what's coming up. For the next episode, my final thoughts on this movie are it's like a pirate painting has come to life with about as much depth. It's kind of fun, but <laughs> Gina Davis is not an action star. and It has as much depth as a painting? Is <laughs> yes. <laughs> they tried to make Gina Davis an action star, and while I appreciate the, the flip of gender roles, they failed, just fell flat on their face at doing that. That's a bad dog. I couldn't really state that uh, does it hold up. I had ne- like I mentioned before because it doesn't. I, well, I'd never seen it before, so I can't go. Man, that was great. And then you can easily say like I loved it as a kid. When I rewatched it, I'm like, man, that was not great. But my final thoughts are: it's not that Cutthroat Island is a bad movie, as it's just not necessarily a good movie. I mean, it had a lot of bad raps because of the bloated budget and not making hardly any money. Caraco didn't help them help their their ploy by pulling the movie two weeks later. Who knows if they would have made five million dollars more. Ooh wow, great. But you're still a hundred million in debt. I mean it's like yeah, you're still that much in debt and you file for bankruptcy six weeks prior, so what difference does it make if this movie makes a bunch of money anyway? The film succeeds in parts with exceptional production value, visual effects, and moderately decent action for a paint-by-numbers pirate movie. With no depth. Yeah, with no depth, <laughs> whereas de- has, 
as uh, deep as the canvas that it was painted on. Right. Unfortunately, audience were hardly interested in pirate movies in the 1990s. They were willing to accept a re-envisioning of Peter Pan called Hook <laughs> when directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman or the Muppets retelling of Treasure Island. But that was about it. However, what really stinks... <clears throat> what really sinks this film... It stinks or sinks. Whatever sinks this film <laughs> is Gina Davis's performance. In conclusion, I'll close with the final thoughts by the late Roger Ebert regarding Cutthroat oh, Island. Sweet. This is, in short, a satisfactory movie, but it does but it doesn't transcend its genre. And it's not surprising or astonishing. I saw it because that was my job, and having seen it, I granted it skill and award it three stars on that basis. But unless you're really into pirate movies, it's not a necessary film. Sorry. <laughs> he ended it on sorry. It's, uh, what was the first thing he said? Uh, this is, in short, a satisfactory yeah, movie. It's like Bill McNeil's adequate performance <laughs> on news radio. Adequacity. This movie is merely adequate. Yeah. Um, is it terrible? Not the performances are terrible. It's not necessarily what you do. a terrible movie. Here's what you do: turn the mute, turn the turn the sound off, mute it, and put on Pirates uh, of the Caribbean. <laughs> put on put on like something uh, like pirate themed uh, score. Maybe the score from Pirates of the Caribbean or Pirates of. Penzance. Get drunk a little bit and just watch it in the background. Have that music playing and those visuals playing, and you'll be okay. And do don't don't let it don't be turn your main, the volume up. Don't be, don't let it right. be your main focus. Fold your laundry or something. The visuals of it, based with good music, make your own story up in your head. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Or make your own story up altogether. Anyway, Whew. okay, well, that was hard. Not as hard as I thought, but not any easier than you thought either. No. Um, but next week's potentially uh, season finale uh, features two of my favorite movies. And those movies are Murdered by Death, the 1974 Neil Simon, uh, I guess classic. I would call it a classic. Sort of whodunit, tongue-in-cheek whodunit. Mm-hmm. And the 1985 uh, board game Come to Life, Clue, starring Tim Curry. Yeah. Will we like it? Will we not like it? already said I will or did I I'm fairly certain it could have ended this way I hate both of these movies but it also could have ended this way I hate one of these movies but here's how it really happened you'll have to tune in next week see you kids